some dates in human history have a symbolic weight. Of course, the weight of the symbolism depends entirely on context, on perspective, or religion, even value systems. September the 11th, July the 22nd, the 25th of December, or the 24th if you're in Europe. Some feasts are movable, others are static. Random days in April, July the 4th. In Norway, March the 12th, 2020, was the day that everything changed. Hemingway once spoke of bankruptcy and nervous breakdowns as coming very, very slowly, and then, all of a sudden. The coronavirus pandemic seemed to do just that. This is a single-voice podcast, looking at the pandemic as it unfolds, from the perspective of different countries' reactions to the virus. For example... Austria, who immediately enacted powerful measures to isolate the population. The Conservative Prime Minister, Sebastian Kurz, urged the Austrians to isolate for the old people, you know, the ones who had built the nation. Austrian senior citizens, especially on the left of the political spectrum, didn't take kindly to this conceptual isolation. Don't put it all on us. Within days of the Austrian lockdown, the police were stopping groups of people on the streets, demanding proof that they lived in the same household, often by examining their household keys. Pensioners, sitting on park benches, were told to leave the area and walk in separate directions. But the infection numbers were held at bay. So this strategy seemed to work. But at what cost? Norway also slowly and then all of a sudden shut down the nation. A multi-billion kroner crisis package had been put into place and the oft-warring political party seemed to have come together. Norway's self-mythologising came into play We are a nation who come together in times of crisis. The war was mentioned, the Second World War, and its aftermath. We built the nation then and will rebuild it again. The new Minister for Culture, who'd been put into the position only weeks before, came out with a philosophical manifesto for the importance of art and artists in society. This was the first time that a Minister of Culture had done so in living memory. Norwegians also doubled their purchase of alcohol in the first week of the lockdown, while hospitals reported that battered children were no longer being brought to the hospital emergency rooms. Isolation fantasies and fears. People are reading more books. People are hurting their children behind closed doors. And finally, the United Kingdom, who were very slow to catch on, touted herd immunity as a sign of independence and robust, no-nonsense, common sense. But that didn't last long. 
And now, in a polite, cup-of-tea kind of way, the UK is figuring out the concept of lockdown after their liberation from Europe. Be careful what you wish for, money penny. As the weeks have crawled by, slowly for each country, the pandemic is turning inwards and becoming an epidemic. This correspondent, for one, had to look up the difference between pandemic and epidemic in a dictionary. The one word is euphonic, beautiful. The other, cacophonic, ugly. In pandemic, the prefix is misleading because it implies something positive, universal, playful, pan pipes, Peter Pan, pansexual, panoramic view. An epidemic is harder core. It pounds and drums with its P's and its D's. In general, people spend their time waiting for real news. By that, we mean information from our governments. Practical information. Tell us what is closed, what is open. Is there any money? Or will we be left to fend for ourselves? Corona and Covid dominate not just the headlines, but the inside pages. Finance. Culture. Health. Not so much fashion. And perhaps not so much politics, either. Because we just need to get through this thing. The people are looking inwards. And why not? And in the looking inwards, wondering what society they'd created. And realising it's fragile. And that work, the right to work, is the basis of everything. I'm Kate Pendry, and these are the Corona Chronicles. Flotsams and jetsams of information that have drifted through this correspondence civic transom since the 12th of March, the day we all locked down. The standing ovations on social media began, gracing and applauding and elevating health workers and propelling their status in society up where it belonged. The Nurses' Union in Norway responded matter-of-factly with Facebook profile frames that stated unequivocally, We want better wages, not bloody applause. Nailed it. Applause for that. On the other hand, some nurses and health workers became haughty and aggressive, with profile frames stating, Jeg er sykepleier. Jeg skal på jobb. Du må bli hjem. I am a nurse. I am going to work. You, capital letters, must stay at home. You naughty civilians. These were the first signs of corona passive aggressivity. Who's important in society? I'm important in society and you're not. The need to hierarchize and pyramidize, although the hierarchies 
had suddenly been turned upside down in those first few days. All of a sudden, supermarket workers, health workers were hot. Stockbrokers and real estate agents were not. Stay the fuck home became a mantra for some. Others were still clinging to the it's no worse than the flu and I'm not a sheep, I won't do what the government tells me, modus operandi. On the whole, that attitude didn't carry much weight because this was about a plague virus, not fucking the police. You idiots, people said to them. The virus doesn't ask if you're rich or poor, but the poor got it in the neck. Celebrities and influencers were quick to use their platforms to sing peace songs or warble into their hairbrushes as if they were just like you and me. It didn't take long for people to point out that quarantines are very different for different people. Hanging out by your swimming pool in Beverly Hills while your food is delivered is hardly an isolation exercise. Those celebrities who tried to claim that it was got reasonably short shrift. The virus doesn't ask if you're rich or poor, meaning the rich can also get it, but the poor will suffer more. Wealth and isolation often go hand in hand, have done for centuries, millennia even. Keeping to your castle on the hill, the ivory towers and fortresses of solitude, the gated communities and the doorman-protected condominiums, keeping away from danger and, more importantly, from the great unwashed. Donald Trump implied that he couldn't get corona because he... Well, you fill in the blanks. People didn't feel guilty about wishing the disease on him when he said that. A plague upon your house, Mr. President. Meanwhile, in the refugee camp in Moria, women were sleeping in diapers because the risk of gang rape in the night if an attempt was made to go to the communal toilets, well, the risk was too great. There, the possibility of isolation is limited. A lawless state. Survival of the meanest. In the first week, conspiracies flourished on a par with COVID-19. There were the usual suspects. It's man-made. Oh, the Chinese one-child quota has created so many old people, it's a way to cull the excess. No, no, it's big pharma. It's a vaccine caper, blah, blah, blah. The anti-vaccination community, of course, started squeaking, but soon fell comparatively silent because this was clearly not made-up shit. And really, only a vaccination could save your grandmother. Real life and real danger and real illness seemed to have intruded on the dreamscapes of free market, too much time on your hands, fantasy petri dishes. And people quickly looked to the positive in that first week. In the heady euphoria that comes at the beginning of any serious illness, the shock and the endorphins that pour out to cope with the shock, a corona prayer made the rounds. And the people stayed home and read books 
and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played games and they learned new ways of being. And when the danger passed and the people joined together again, they grieved their losses and made new choices and dreamed new images and created new ways to live and heal the earth fully as they themselves had been healed. This poem went viral. Oh, the irony. It was attributed to one Kitty O'Meara, apparently a nurse during the First World War, who then tended to patients suffering from the Spanish flu. Because, of course, that genesis felt like it should be true, that we'd been through this before in exactly the same way, and we'd come out of it good. The truth, of course, was more prosaic. Kitty O'Meara is a retired teacher from Wisconsin. She's alive and well. She wasn't even born during the First World War. Last week, she was interviewed by Oprah. How will history judge us? This was a question hovering around in those hazy first days of the lockdown. That question is related to the loaded small talk courtesy which was extended after 1945, especially in the United Kingdom. How was your war, dear? Were you a soldier or a deserter? Were you wounded? Were you saved? Were you a hero or a profiteer? Did your family survive or were they destroyed under rubble? Did you lose a sibling in the Ardennes? We'll all be judged. Let's get back to the rich. In that first week, Tom Hanks, the most beloved actor in Hollywood, declared his corona-positive status. But isolation isn't isolation for the rich, as we know. For Hanks or for royalty, even if you like them, even if they are personable and not narcissistic assholes, we're all dealing with the isolation now. So, do we need to be influenced and suckered and guided by the top-tier folk, those who have space and fresh air, those who are claiming that their isolations are the same as ours, that we're all in this together. For sure, this is a thing we all have in common, but are we in it together? Whatever that means. It felt like we were in that first week, although the togetherness was defined by national borders, every country peeping over the fence to see how poorly their neighbours were dealing with it, the disease. Citizens of one country couldn't understand why another country on the same continent, with apparently the same principles of civilization, should choose a different strategy. COVID-19 wasn't behaving differently. COVID-19 knows no borders. And while the British were still having pub lunches and hot yoga classes and football, yes, football matches, the Austrian police were checking ID in the street and sending pensioners home if they sat too close to each other on a park bench. Different strokes. And yet, in that first week, Norway made €30 million Euro available as an emergency fund to artists. Austria did the same for its artists, but only to the tune of €5 million. Euro. 
There are nearly twice as many Austrians as Norwegians, so the sums are even more disparate. The unknown terrifies us. Inter-erotique suppliers and distributors of sex toys were flooded with orders and could be seen trucking their wares through the ghost towns of the German-speaking countries. Yes, let's talk about sex, baby. What about sex in lockdown and porn and prostitution? Within days of the lockdown, some were predicting a baby boom. I mean, what else do people have to do when they are locked at home with each other 24 hours a day? It's a nice thought, but a naive thought, perhaps. Cynics know that modern human nature doesn't work like that, and newspapers advised in a number of European countries delaying lunch during lockdown and having sex instead to boost or even save your marriage. Meanwhile, back in China, documented rates of domestic violence that interesting soft-core term for what is really just violence, incidences of violence in the home, man-on-woman violence to be specific, had risen immediately and dramatically within days of the lockdown. A few lone voices in the European press whispered the same concerns. Imagine being isolated, locked down, with an abusive husband. Or father. The lone voices were all but ignored. We need to isolate and lock down to save lives, and if some lives are endangered because of the isolation and lockdown, well, it's all just statistics, isn't it? Sacrifice a few for the greater good. But it's not black and white. It never is. Although sometimes it is. What then of terrorism, as we have come to know it? The mowing down and blowing up of large crowds. Terrorism is a virus that thrives in crowds just like corona. Now the terrorism curve may already have been flattening before the pandemic, but corona has all but wiped it out. Unless, of course, terrorists, like artists, start getting creative now that they have no live audiences to play for. Meanwhile, back in the UK, herd immunity was being waved like a union jack at Wembley. The UK government spokespersons defended the strategy and confidently announced, we'll turn the tide in 12 weeks. A number of health experts disagreed with the government. Even some citizens did, although as those citizens' freedoms were not at that point being limited, it seemed like a good opening move in the chess match against an invisible bug. Boris Johnson was jovial. I've met corona patients, uh, shaken hands with them even, and I'm all right. Icarus. Icarus. In that first week in London, as a concession to the pandemic, wine tastings were limited to 50 people. In Vienna, on the other hand, the police started stopping people if they were not walking alone, asking for even more proof that they lived in the same household. In Norway, there was a different, at first blush, quite quaint, war unfolding. 
the cabin wars of 2020 brought out the weirdest and the worst in that little keep-to-itself land up north. Norwegians flocked to their holiday cabins in the mountains as a safe quarantine and fresh air and fun way to deal with the lockdown. Naturally, locals who actually lived in the cabin areas were horrified by the influx of tens of thousands of city folk. The locals asked the government to bring in the army. The Norwegians, of course, are all about the cabin life. This is more of their self-mythologising. Although obesity and alcoholism levels in the country are going up, so their healthy lifestyle might just be in their imaginations. The idea of having access to their cabins being denied them by the government, well, this pissed off a lot of cabin owners. They were enraged and outraged. Not all of them, but some. A lot. In the end, it was all a storm in a teacup. Even vacation property owners understand the mathematics of viral infection if you show them a clear enough cartoon rendering of it. Oh, it also helped that the government made it illegal to stay in vacation cabins. The nanny state finally grew a pair and grounded its citizens. Perhaps people will be judged on how they behaved during the corona pandemic. By their conscience, by their peers, by history. Who knows? But true colours do tend to shine through in sickness more than in health. In Austria, the harsh tactics of the government worked. But Sebastian Kurz, that young and smooth and handsome Conservative Prime Minister, allowed his doctors to spin the semantics when he sternly told the citizens that 95% of the people in Austria are obedient. The 5% who are disobedient are the ones we should look out for. Or this could happen. Cue images of Italian army trucks transporting the dead to plague pits. In essence, what he said was true. But the implication of a specific percentage of citizens becoming naughty homicidal maniacs because they were thinking only of themselves and breaking the law, in normal times that would have been an unacceptable blindside from the powers that be. During the pandemic, however, it was fair enough. Or was it? These aren't normal times. What the hell is normal? What was normal? Does anyone remember? In the UK, Prime Minister Boris Johnson did a massive U-turn overnight. He declared with a Churchillian gravitas that many will lose their loved ones. This, of course, was purple prose, and up there with Sebastian Kurtz's finger-wagging. The people sighed and said, Please, don't. No one in Europe mentioned Donald Trump. They seemed to have had enough to deal with at home. Borders were closing, countries hunkering down into their own sense of self and self-preservation strategies. It was the most human thing that they could do. Donald Trump, the least likely man on the planet, equipped to deal with something as serious as a pandemic, well, no one wanted to hear from him. He got tuned out.
high school and university exams were cancelled. Norwegian students in their final year of high school had been planning their traditional three-week graduation bacchanal for months. When the lockdown was imposed, some of them squealed in the newspapers like stuck pigs, writing letters to editors and demanding that their celebrations be reinstated because it's tradition. They were ignored. Each year, the Norwegian graduation celebrations seemed to have become more rapey and Lord of the Fliesy and more dominated by rich kids anyway, so it was an unexpected positive side effect of the lockdown that they were smacked down. That'll teach them. Spoiled rotten, they are, muttered the grown-ups. Back in the UK, Britannia Hotels sacked all of their staff and evicted those who lived on site overnight. There was outrage, but it was like trying to plug a leaky dike and running out of fingers. Again, how was your war? What true colours did that hotel chain display in that moment? In Austria, the Beeper supermarket chain responded to a grassroots campaign to allow checkout staff to be tipped. Weird that you'd have to ask, but there are systems and rules. Beeper immediately said, yes, please tip our staff if you wish, thanking them for being available during the pandemic. That's nice. On the other hand, Lidl, the sometimes cruel and slave-driving German-owned supermarket chain, said, no, no, you cannot tip our staff, not one euro, not one cent extra shall they receive even in the dark times. There will be no singing. More police were seen in the parks, keeping people apart, and the curve began to flatten. In Norway, only days after lockdown, financial care packages for self-employed persons were put in place. In normal pre-corona life, the self-employed had no rights to unemployment money to speak of, partly because they didn't pay the correct social securities as waged workers and partly as a Puritan punishment for having an apparent freedom to get out of bed whenever they wanted. Either way, the reality came crashing home. Having 20% of the workforce out of work overnight, whether they're plumbers or artists or civil servants, although actually civil servants didn't have to worry too much, well, the capitalist society is a shark. And like a shark, it has to keep on moving, or else it will die. The self-employed, overnight, were given the same rights as normal workers. For many of them, it was a dream come true. Or at least a temporary plug. In the UK, grassroots petitions to give the self-employed those same rights were to no avail. The UK does not have the reserves of oil money to fall back on, perhaps. Or perhaps it's not that simple. In Lernskog, a small town outside of Oslo, there were panicked complaints regarding sightings of large groups of pensioners hanging out in shopping centres and walking in the forest. The mayor of Lernskog, taking a leaf out of Sebastian Kurtz's book, made a public plea to the disobedient pensioners. Yes, that was the word he used to stay at home. The pensioners refused. One said, 
I'd rather be taken by Corona than live for years in agony or loneliness in an old people's home. The response from the mayor seemed whiny. The old people can't behave like this. The old people basically said, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. It was a glorious resistance. The pampered young were locked down, the neglected old ran naked in the forest, flipping society the bird. It was difficult to take that mayoral tut-tut and pointy finger seriously. Politier måtte spre eldre gjeng på café Lønskog, he continued to whine. The police had to disperse a gang of pensioners in a coffee shop. It was like a Monty Python sketch, with a hint of Orwell, because at the end of the day it was other concerned citizens who had reported the rogue pensioners to the police. The Orwellian spies, reporting in the disobedient to the authorities. How was your war? What were your true colours? Who's protecting who? And from what? In the UK, a week behind the rest of Europe, nightclubs, theatres, cinemas, gyms and leisure centres were all asked politely to uh, close down, if you could, as soon as reasonably possible. A polite, cup-of-tea kind of way of admitting that a lax strategy to disease was naive, at best. In peacetime, that U-turn might have been seen as political suicide. In corona time, it was just common sense, a softening of the rigid groupthinks of the modern age where no one can ever admit that they're wrong. The virus didn't give much information about itself. The virus refused to attend any debates or arguments about its presence and its trajectory. It just was. Shouting at it or blaming it would be madness. Things suddenly got a context. The virus was going to do its own thing, and we, the people, would all have to adapt. There could be no discussion, only action. On Friday the 20th of March, China reported no new infections. The capitalist system of growth and progress was suddenly at terrible odds with itself. Slow it down, flatten the curve, the hammer and the dance. Exponential growth, the holy grail of globalism and capitalism on the 11th of March, became a poisoned chalice on the 12th. A sobering moment as the people stayed home, and in that first week, at least, began to read books. At least, that's what they claimed. You have been listening to the Corona Chronicles. This podcast was produced by Seashell Media, with original music by Ivan Strömstad. I am Kate Pendry, wishing you good health. Until next time. Thank you.